0: Family ties, life together, life groups. Why do we promote them? Why do we have them? Is it just us looking for another way to steal one of your hours? Or is there really biblical precedent and honest principle behind it? I'm going to tell you that I believe that there is biblical principle. I believe that there is Bible precedent and that there is personal testimony to the advantage of ...of small groups, of family ties, of us being life together as the body of Christ. And that's okay. I've always wanted to be whistled out on stage. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. (laughs) And today's my day, right? Woo! I love it. So, we're in a study called Family Ties. It's going to be a four-week series in the month of August. I will preach today. Pastor Russell will preach next Sunday... Our intern, TJ, will preach on the 19th, and then John will preach on August the 26th. And every week, we're going to be talking about life groups, why do we have them, life groups, what's their value, life groups, do we believe that Jesus called us to do life together? And I think there is truth in that, because if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says that it is not good man to be alone we could move on forward in the scripture and we could find that when Moses was leading the children of Israel and he was overwhelmed and did not know which way to go and which way to turn he went to his father-in-law Jethro and when he went to his father-in-law Jethro he looked at him and said hey father-in-law all these people are killing me and Jethro looked at him and said hey why don't you do it just a little bit differently Why don't you divide them into this way and divide them into that way? In other words, what he said was take the mass, divide it into groups, and in groups you can accomplish more. I believe that is a true thing for us. But then if you say, okay, Genesis is Old Testament and Moses is antiquated, or whatever your mindset may be, if you jump over to the New Testament, when Jesus had lived 30 years on earth and and it was now time for him to begin an earthly ministry, the first thing that we find that Jesus did was he went and made groups, 12 groups, called disciples. And those people were then to help him do the work of the ministry, to build relationships, and to get involved in the lives of people. So much so that three years later when he left the earth, they picked up the ministry, carried it forward, and, have, and through their efforts, because God ordained it, the world has been changed for some 2,000 years now. Life groups make a difference. Life groups matter. I am going to be in the book of First Peter, and it'll be in First Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to talk to you for just one second out of 1 Peter chapter 2 to show you what Peter is doing here. Peter is somewhat following the model of Paul. He is laying out the case for, for Christian behavior. And when we start looking in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, he's speaking to the church and he says to the church, this is how I want you to respond to the authorities that are over you. He said, this is Christian duty. Respond this way. In chapter 2, verse 18 to 25, he says, Employees, this is how I want you to relate to your employer. Again, in his time, he was saying servant and masters. But in our time, for us to understand it in context, it's employee to employer. When we go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, he's saying, Christian wives, this is how you need to behave to your unbelieving husbands, how you need to respond to them. And he says, he gives instructions on that. And then in chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 7, what he then says is, Husbands, Christian husbands, this is how I want you to treat your wives. Gail said, why do wives get six verses and husbands get one? Jesus knows our attention span. So he said it all in just a little bit, okay? He knew that if he said too much, we wouldn't get it. So he put it in one little block and said, now go do this behave this way and then in chapter 3 where we're going to be today verses 8 to 12 he says this is how i want you church to behave to each other now this is a message inside the church to the church peter's writing it so let's take our bibles let's go there to chapter 3 verse 8 he says finally in other words from two thirteen to this point this is what i've told you to do this is what you do with authority. This is what you do with your employee, employer. This is wives how you behave to your husbands. Husbands how you treat your wives. And then he says, now finally, church, when you all get together, all those people that I've just talked about, when y'all all all come together and sit under one roof and y'all are doing this thing that we call church, by the way, church is what we do, but church is really who we are. Would you agree with that? Because the scripture says that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the church. Now, small groups of believers, because again, life groups, we can't get all the Christians together under one roof. We break up into small groups, and we meet all over this city and all over the world. I got an email this morning from Tony and Connie Andrews. Connie's our business administrator. For the last two weeks, they've been in Thailand on a mission trip. And the last line in the email was this, Pastor, God is working all over the world. You see, in the church, the big, there are small groups of people meeting in Thailand, and God is working in them. And we could email him back and say, and God is working here. So he says, finally, after I've given you all of these instructions, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling That's just nasty for nasty, by the way. Okay, it's just a big word to say, don't return nasty for nasty. So he says, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. And he has gotten in my business in a hurry. Can I tell you all that? When he says, no matter what they do to you, you bless them, I'm like, hold on. Can I get one shot in and then be godly? He didn't give me an exception. He said, right off the bat, return it. On the contrary, Chris, to what you want to do, this is what I am commanding you to do. Ouch. So now I've got to confess things that I even think sometimes. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. Now, that's not a small word. You were called. When somebody speaks about their calling in life, That is not just, "Eh, I think I'll go over here and do this today. No, your calling in life is that thing that you must do, you have to do, you got to do it. You can't sleep if you don't do it. He says, this is your calling. So what is my calling? My calling is to return blessing for evil. My calling is to return blessing for nasty. You were called to this that you may inherit a blessing for he who would love life and see good days let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers so there's a little bit of a cause and effect there You, you understand what i'm getting at here he he said this is what i want you to do when there is evil or when there is nasty or when there's this and your temptation is to give back what you got, but even maybe just a little bit more to show them. He says, I'm calling you to be a blessing. And he said, if you'll do that, you will inherit a blessing. There is a blessing to be inherited. And one of the blessings is that his ears are open to the righteous. God hears your prayers. So if I'm walking through life and every time somebody thumps at me and I have to thump them back and I do that then what the implication here is in the scripture is that it does hinder my prayers and then when I go back and I read from 2.13 forward he's telling me how I need to behave to authority, he's telling me how I need to behave to my employer, he's telling me how I need to behave to my wife and how my wife needs to behave to me and now he's saying this is how I want you to behave to the people that you gather with under the banner of Christ so If we begin to look at this in verse 8, I believe that what Paul is giving us, or I'm sorry, Peter is giving us, I'm still in Ephesians, I apologize, is the first thing he gives us is words to the church. Finally, all of you. Now let me ask you is there anybody in this room excluded from all of you? No. So what he's told me is young and old, rich and poor, educated and not educated, or however you want to put a divider in there and say, I'm this and you're that. He said, I want all of you, all of us, to come together so it's a word to the church. It's a word to church members. And in verse 8, he tells us that they're the type of people that we should be. I would love to make this just a behavior. I think making it just a behavior would give me an excuse sometimes to excuse it oh, I didn't behave well today. But I think what Peter's doing here is he's taking it beyond a behavior and saying it needs to be the essence of your character. And he says there's five traits that I want us to put in there. The first trait that we see is he tells us, I want you to be harmonious. He calls us to a character, not a behavior. We're not just to be a skeleton, but we're to be a body with flesh and muscle. And he says, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to be harmonious. That's a common mindset. It's not necessarily the same taste. It's not necessarily the same gifts, the same habits, habits, the same preferences, or anything like that. He did not call us to uniformity, but he did call us to unity. And he says in all of y'all that I put together. He said, I want you to have this common mindset. I want you to be united around the cross of Christ. He says, I want you to be united around that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died on the cross, he bled on the cross, he went into the tomb, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and it is through him that you have life. This is what I find with people whether I'm in a large group or a small group, that we often like to focus on what we disagree on and we can identify three, four, five, a few things and then if we sit down and have the conversation, we realize that we agree on a whole lot more than we disagree but we choose to focus on what divides. Paul says what I want you, Peter says what I want you to do is I want you to walk into this conversation harmonious. You came to church for what reason? To worship God. You came to church for one reason. To bring a burden. You came to church for a reason. To be a blessing or to be blessed. Or to cry out to God. Focus around that. And then take the totality of scripture back here that says. This is how I want you to behave in each of these segments of your life. And when you come together this is how I want it, what I want it to look like. He says be of the same mindset. So when I come to church on Sunday morning, it's not about my economics. It's not about my preference. It's not about my politics. It's not about who I like or don't like or what group of people I like to hang out with or what group of people I don't like to hang out with. Once I walk in that door, I hang that all on the coat rack. I walk in here and say, it is about Jesus right now. And I'm going to learn, and the Scripture is going to show us that While we are gaining something that only God can do for us, we're not to sit idly by just and wait for it to happen. We're to work for it. We're to strive for it. And he says, I want you to strive for harmony. I want you to strive for a mindset. I want you to strive to be a people that would help us to understand that the whole world can come together under the banner, and glorify Christ. He says that not only in verse 8 does he want us to be harmonious, he also tells us in verse 8 that he would like for us to be sympathetic. Finally, all of you being of one mind, united, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. That sympathetic feeling there is what others feel so that you can respond to sensitivity to the need. So if somebody walks into the church today, Haley walks into the church today, Haley walks into the church and Haley has a need and she is wanting me to hear that need, she's wanting to respond, me to respond to that need, she's wanting us as the church to respond, but I look at it and say, well you know, if you hadn't have done this and you hadn't have done that and you hadn't have been here and you hadn't have been with them, then your life would be okay. I have immediately pushed her back, I've immediately caused a bridge between us, and now she's not going to feel like she can open up. So she brings her need, I listen to the need in such a way that I can point her to Christ and say, here's the need in your life, but Jesus is the answer. I'm relating to where she is. It's feeling what others feel so that you can respond with sympathy to their lives. Sometimes that is the response of a hug. Sometimes it's the response of meeting a need. And once you build a relationship, it's sometimes the response of telling the truth. But you earn the right to tell the truth. In small groups, that's where we earn it. You see, if we come in here, all of us together, it's not likely that this side of the room is ever going to get into Too much of a conversation with this side of the room. But if I come together in a small group, whether it's on Sunday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Sunday afternoon, you name it, whenever that small group happens, when I get together with a small group of people, I find that we have things in common. I find that we have a relationship. We are some popular people today, aren't we? (laughs) This is the call center. We put, it, we put it online, 1-800-you-need-prayer, call the first two rows. <laughs> we'll answer him for sure. Yeah. Um, but when we get in those small groups, that's where we, we get homogeneity, in other words, common interest. That's where we gain trust. That's where we begin to have conversations. That's where we begin to feel comfortable to share, this is what's going on in my life. Gail gets in a small group, and she builds trust with people she can say, y'all don't know what it's like to have been married to Chris for 29 years. She's not going to walk in here and say that in here. But with friends, she could say, he says whatever he's thinking, wherever we are, we go to the movie and I have to elbow him because he wants to talk about it. And I think he's getting hard of hearing because the lady in front of us heard what he said. I'll give y'all a good example. We were at an event recently and the two ladies in front of us We're taking a selfie of them. Well, it was too convenient for me not to lean over and get in the picture and go, I'm not smart enough to think if I can see them, they can see me, right? So the lady turns around and says, oh, why don't we take more to the point it was really obnoxious? And Gail said, if you would quit butting in. We wouldn't be in those situations. Because then they turned to her and said, you want to be in the picture? She said, I'm not with him. When we got to the car, though, she was. But we do. We need to be harmonious. We need to have the same mindset. I don't want y'all to agree with me. I don't want to agree with y'all on everything. But we can come under one banner, and that's Jesus. We can come under the opportunity to make him known and make him famous. I do want us to become a group of people that are sympathetic. I want us to listen to people. I was having a conversation with Mike this morning about his, a gentleman he had met in the community. And he said, this was going on and that was going on. And then he said one thing, and basically the essence of it was this. I realized at that moment it wasn't about me, it was a divine appointment. And he said, I needed to stop then and listen. That's what Peter's telling us to do. He says, I want you to be united. I want you to be sympathetic. But then notice he says to us, I want you to love as brothers. And that's a whole other relationship. This is not distant relative or the person across the street that you may speak to or may not speak to. He says, no, I want you to have phileo, brotherly love. I want you to have a love that will give, a love that will sacrifice, a love that will serve, a love that will come beside and a love that will love through the differences that we have. Because hear me, if you put a bunch of people in the same room that look alike, act alike, behave alike, and whatever else you can do alike in that process, it's not going to be necessarily life-changing outside of people that look like that, act like that, and think like that. But when we come together as the body of Christ and who we are and how we think and what we have and how we use it and all of those things, now we can have a think tank. And it is an amazing thing because we can do it not because of what we disagree on but because of what we agree on that the mindset is that in this context we want to make Jesus famous. And in this context, no matter who we reach because of our diversity, because of who we are, we will be listening to them, loving them, and serving and making a difference. Man, he is talking to the church. He's talking to me. He says, I want you to be harmonious. I want you to be sympathetic. He says, I want you to have brotherly love. He says, I want you to be tender-hearted. The literal translation of that Greek word, there that we use for tender hearted is feel generous in your belly well disposed in the deepness of you a mindset that says I will step into your life and I will love you where you are because you hear me Jesus stepped into your life and he loved you right where you were now He loved you enough to instruct you on how to be transformed from where he found you to where he wants you to be. And that's who we need to be as the church. But we do it in a harmonious way. We do it in an understanding way. We do it in a brotherly love kind of way. We begin to work together. But watch on because he talks even more. He says, I want you to be humble. Humble. That mindset there is I am utterly dependent on God for life and breath and intelligence and emotion and provision and faith and safety. And anything that I am, I'm dependent on Him. I do believe there's a tendency when a group of people who have the same mindset get together, I believe there's a tendency for us to think we're right and everybody else is wrong. And that we've got it figured out and they don't. Or we drove to church in our car that's this year model, and they drove to church in their car that was that year model, or we came to church dressed like this, and they had to come to church dressed like that. And we began to get the mindset, well, if you just be like me, do like me, and act like me, you would have what I have. And what Peter is telling us, he says, I want you to realize this. You need to be utterly understanding and utterly realize." That what you have is because of God. He didn't give it for you to get arrogant. He gave it to you for you to be a blessing to help other people come to that place. To grow the body. For the one who is wayward to be brought home. These are description of what Paul, Peter is calling us to be. Not just how we behave. Because if it's only how I behave, my emotions in the moment will define how I respond. But when it is my core value, my principle, now when I catch myself acting opposite of what I've been instructed to do, the Spirit of God brings conviction on me, and that conviction brings confession, and that confession brings change of behavior. We've got to go on trusting God and become this type of person. I can imagine somebody saying to Peter, Peter, that's just not the way I am. Peter, you don't know how I was raised. Peter, you don't know how I grew up. You're asking me to be something I'm not. That would be an easy response to an instruction that is disappointed. And I think he would answer, If you're a born again child of God, if the Spirit of God really dwells in you, if you are the children of God by adoption, if Christ is your treasure and God is your hope, then the seed of all of these traits, all of these things, harmony, sympathy, and all of those things, the seed of all of those is in you right now. And God says that He will develop them as you seek Him. He will develop them as you trust Him. He will develop them as you step out in faith and walk beside Him. He will grow them. So when I look at God and say, I'm not that way, really what I'm doing is looking at God and saying, you're not that way. And God says, I am able to transform you. I am able to renew your mind. So yes. Our goal is to be only what God can do. That's a child of God. And then once I become a child of God. I don't work for him to accept me. But I work because he has accepted me. And I want all of the seeds that he has put in me. To be seed that bear fruit. Jesus said, you shall bear much fruit. So here's a checklist in my life. God, here I am. Here's what I think. God, here I am. This is what I think. God, here's how I act. Here's how I behave. Here's how I respond. And God, you've told me you want me to be these things. So Lord, as I look down the checklist today, give me opportunity. Opportunity and availability to show something for you. Because you never know in the course of your day what God's going to drop in your lap that may be the thing that changes someone's life, preserves their life. Transforms their life, heals their past, gives hope to go on and carry on. But keep on trusting God. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Peter is telling us, in the face of being mistreated, in the face of bad behavior, when people have been nasty, he says, I want you to return blessing for evil. Isaiah said, you can do this, you can step out, you can walk, and he will keep you in perfect peace because he is the everlasting rock. He is the one that does not move, he is not shaken. We can trust him. We are called... To be this blessing. So, what's the condition, if you will, for inheriting this? Don't return evil for evil. We're called to bless. Go back to chapter 2, verse 21. And I'm going to start reading in verse 20 just to get context. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, if you get what you deserve and you take it, there's no commendation. But if you take what you do not deserve in the name of Christ... He says that it is commendable before God for to this you were called because Christ also suffered leaving us an example that you should follow. Ouch. You were called. You were called to suffer. You were called to suffer because Christ left the example and said if I did you will. And in that context when we find ourselves in the middle of suffering, we need to keep on suffering and keep on glorifying Jesus when we're suffering for his sake. Let me, let me clarify that. So why do I need a small group? Because alone, I don't have the strength. Alone, I'll give up. Alone, I'll say, this is too much. But when I bring you around me and we are all suffering for the sake of Christ and I see you keeping on, then I can keep on because you kept on. He says to us, keep going, don't return. The condition of the blessing, go to verse 9 where he says to us, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, in other words, the opposite of that, Be a blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit it in your own way. That you might inherit the blessing. When he says that, he shows that our blessing others is one of the conditions we fulfill so that we inherit our blessing in the age to come. It's the same with Jesus would have said in the Beatitude when he said to us, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Showing mercy to others is a condition for receiving mercy. Forgiveness is a condition for receiving forgiveness. He says, I want you to bless in the face of evil. Bless others now to receive more later, if you will. Peter 1.13 says to us that, that the blessing that is coming to us at Christ's return is not a payment for works, but it's the gift of grace. So what is it? When we talk about this condition, what is it when we talk about this evidence? The condition is to those who have been born again. You see, to be in the church, you come to God through Christ. Once you are in Christ, you are transformed. You're a new creature. He puts inside of you every spiritual blessing is what we learned in Ephesians. Everything that you're going to need this life in this life, As you daily walk with God, you nurture those seeds, you water those seeds. They begin to grow up in you and they begin to bear fruit out of you. And when we're in the community, we're showing Christ. When we're in the community, we're showing His love, we're showing His behavior, we're showing people how to respond. And listen to me, whether I'm talking about two gentlemen that were arrested in New Mexico and connected to sex trafficking or whether I'm talking about a man that's going down the road and he's shot in the head on I-20 or whether I'm talking about somebody that got into a fight at an intersection or a family that's got abuse or children that have been taken away people are beginning more and more people apart from Christ are beginning more and more to respond with ugly and hate and actions that are scary and so We, the body of Christ, the salt and pepper of the world, the seasoning of the world, have got to begin to step up and live out. And he says, this is how you do it. You start in your huddle. You start in your small group. And you begin to talk about a united mindset. You begin to show talk about how to show compassion to other people you begin to talk about what it means to have brotherly love or to be tender-hearted or to walk into your group every day and say you know what it is because of Christ that I'm here it is because of Christ I'll continue it is because of Christ that I will endure it is because of Christ that I will ultimately be victorious and somebody says my day is this Or my day is that. And you say, keep on, carry on, encourage on. Life. When we get to this place of new birth. When we get to this place of evidence. What Peter is telling us here is this. If you want to have an evidence of your born again. You will respond to evil with blessing. If you want to show evidence of new birth. You will realize that your mindset is changing. Your behavior is changing. I tell you all the time. Write down where you are today. Keep a journal. Go back and look at it in six months. If If you don't see any movement. Then talk to God and say. God why am I still here? Help me move forward. And then examine your habits. Are you in the word? Are you praying? Are you hanging out with people? That can get you there because listen to me the best place the best way to get to where you want to be is to go with somebody who's already been there look for you a mature brother or sister in christ and say i'm struggling here you seem to have victory here will you walk beside me and help me i was speaking at an event this week and we were trying to have um a connection with the basketball coach and i had walked away and And Pastor Russell looked at Eman and said, Hey, I want to talk to that man. What are some questions I could ask him? And Eman was feeding him the questions. And Russell said that when he got up there and started talking to the coach, he said, I had all the right questions. He had all the right questions, not because he knew. He had all the right questions because he knew the person who did. And when you are walking through life, you find you have that relationship with God. You have the Holy Spirit. You get in a small group and find mature believers and say, "Walk beside me," because I'm stumbling at the same spot every time." And oh, by the way, have y'all ever noticed that in your life? I do. I pretty much stumble at the same spot over and over. You think I'd step over it, but I'm not that smart. So you bring somebody into your life. The evidence is growth. The evidence is a change. So what is the main function of a small group? Why do we have them? It's to call each other back from false hope, painful moments, destructive behavior, deceptive treasures. And to help each other week after week see the unparalleled value of Jesus and his future. So that we can embrace him as our treasure. The definition of insanity, y'all know it very well, right? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And yet in our spiritual lives, we often carry out the same behavior over and over and over and ask ourselves, why haven't I grown today? Why am I still here? God set principles in his word. That you can build a life on. And one of those principles is this. Life together. Will make you stronger. Life separated. Will make you weaker. Life. When you cut yourself from the herd. You become prey to the devouring one. Who is seeking out whom he may destroy. Over the next three weeks after today. You're going to hear different messages about life groups, small groups, family ties. And my prayer is that at the end of it, we'll have the same mindset. That we'll be sympathetic. That we will have brotherly, sisterly love one for another. And that we will learn how to walk through this life arm in arm. And that we really can be an agent for God. An ambassador for Christ is what the scripture says. To encourage one another and also to reach out in this community. Faith is work. Faith, trust. Faith requires movement.